and welcome to Beyond the Capital from Supertech. I'm Hilary, we're back, it's 2023, and this series we're going to be exploring how to deal with adversity. I'm going to be talking to entrepreneurs, business leaders about how they've overcome major challenges. Some of them are financial, personal, sometimes about investment, securing funding, launching during a small thing like a pandemic. I'm going to find out how they made it through the ups, the downs, building thriving businesses ultimately and doing it from the regions because this is beyond the capital. It's a podcast series about the professional services tech scene and building those businesses outside of London. I'm Hilary Smith-Allen. In this episode, the focus is prop tech. I spoke to Mike Bruman, CEO of Vanti, a smart buildings and technology company based in Birmingham. Thanks for joining me this morning. Could you start by introducing yourself and telling me a little bit about your company? Sure. Good morning. Uh, my name is Mike Bruman. I'm CEO of a company called Vanti. We are a master systems integrator. That means we take lots of different technology, hardware and software, put it all together, make it work for people within the built environment. Go on, within the built environment. Give me an example. There are a lot of words. <laughs> I had sure. integrated, smart. We've, we've tried very hard <laughs> to condense it down. Uh, so smart buildings are largely what we focus on. Um, four main disciplines internally. So technology integration, that is ultimately what drives a smart building. We have audiovisual and production technology. So uh, drama studios, theatres, high-end cinema rooms, all those kind of bits and pieces. IT and cybersecurity. So everything we do is network connected. So that's um, pulling in internet connections to big commercial buildings, uh, doing the operational networks that run all the way through them. So make their kind of technology heartbeat work. Uh, And then the final one is building services. So uh, things like lighting control systems, access control systems, CCTV, uh, all of those kind of bits and pieces. So primarily uh, we do most of our work in commercial buildings and mostly in the kind of multi-tenant space, although we do love an owner-occupier because they actually care about their building working uh, rather than just speculatively building something to sell it. Uh, And then we're starting to get into uh, multi-dwelling units, so build to rent uh, in the residential space. Uh, And then we've done bits and pieces in the hospitality sector. So we did Tottenham Hotspur's seven-star hotel down at the training ground. Wow. Not quite sure where the other two stars come from, but they're there somewhere. (laughs) And then uh, bits and pieces in higher education as well. So we did the Royal Conservatoire uh, in 2018. Um, And we're uh, currently talking to University of Birmingham. So fingers crossed. So it's been going a while then? Uh, yeah, so Raj founded the business uh, when he was at Birmingham University uh, doing uh, electrical engineering uh, and interactive technology course. So he does uh, crazy stuff like mechatronics and all those kind of bits and pieces. He was a limited company 2006. And then just as Lehman Brothers was kind of flying to the wall, uh, I joined him after voluntary redundancy in 2008. Wow, so... Before PropTech was even a, a label that we all heard about. Yeah, I, I think uh, so. PropTech and IoT, we always find quite funny um, internally because um, black boxes and wires are literally what we've done since day dot. Um, and it's nice that we've always kind of got a name for it now. Yeah. And PropTech, I mean, super broad in terms of everything from, you know, SaaS product space uh, all the way through to kind of sensors and IoT. So we do bits and pieces there, but I think... The main differentiator to a lot of IoT technology is we uh, are predominantly a design and build business. So uh, new build, major refurbishments for people who are looking to kind of retrofit technologies. Um, there are people who are much better placed to to do that than us. We can do it, but uh, it's not our bread and butter. 
I mean, real estate's not exactly known for its uh, embracement of technology, I suppose, compared to some of the other verticals and sectors like financial services, fintech. You know, we hear about that a bit more. And you've been going at it a while. Have you seen much of a trend or is adoption still a battle? It's been a really interesting journey. So there's a 2016 uh, McKinsey report that um, looks at the digitization of all industries and property and construction is behind hunting and agriculture. Like wow. it is just woefully <laughs> not digitally enabled. And we did our first like proper smart building in 2015. That was our uh, real first shot at integrating all of the systems within a building. Uh, super lucky to work with a very visionary facilities manager who really just wanted to automate all of the tasks away from uh, their employee base as they moved towards agile working. And we came off the back of that project and thought we'd kind of shrink wrap one and everyone would buy it. But um, then we realised no one knew what one was. So uh, we did EcoBuild in 2016, which is a trade show that happens down at, at Excel. And we flew a banner four metres in the air that just said, what is a smart building? And um, inundated by housing associations, bizarrely, really? who, uh, yeah, just um, have real problems with monitoring property from the perspective, particularly around mould, drying clothes indoors, not ventilating things properly, all those kind of bits and pieces. Um, so interest there, but also then as soon as you got into kind of budget conversations with those guys, it was, there was no yeah, money to do nothing anything. to do. So, yeah, I think pre-pandemic, we were just getting to the point where the conversation was changing to kind of how do we do it? And then pandemic really just created this kind of perfect storm. Yeah, I was wondering if the, you know, COVID was a point in time of change or whether it was just something that was on the side. COVID was a big turning point for us i think um not only you know uh, are we labeled as broadly dispensable because we're classified as construction and, and key workers but it was a real time of change for a lot of our client base so they knew they had to respond to a different configuration of office space and a way of working and i think initially that was the kind of ridiculousness of if we you know keep two meters away from each other but we're all breathing the same circulated air everything was going to be okay but then it it turned, and I think the real turning point for me was a brilliant piece of research that um, an organisation called Leaseman did. Uh, so they'd previously been all about uh, producing uh, this office index. So as a facilities manager, you could kind of peg yourself against uh, other people in the industry and understand how good your space was and how it, how it worked for people. Through the pandemic, though, they started doing a bunch of research around uh, how people's home spaces worked for them uh, and even just internally for us we had a, a range of people I mean we're not quite as fortunate as uh, I think some people that we heard about through the pandemic you know with their two studies in their yeah. second pile yeah. in the middle of nowhere and all those kind of bits <laughs> and pieces but we we did have a range of people who had a separate space that they could go to and close a door in between kind of work and, and home yeah. um, but all the way through to people who were you know waking up in the space that they were working in which is just a terrible experience for for people to be you know doing everything within a set of four walls. So the research contrasted uh, the kind of average home setup with an average office space, and what it found was that actually uh, average home setups are better than the desk farms that we were sat in. Wow! And so what they looked towards was how do you create an outstanding office experience. And uh, they didn't coin this, and I heard it elsewhere, but the best description I've heard in recent years is one of a cross between a bar and a library. 
So you have to have that kind of social space for, you know, the wonderful serendipitous encounters that we're all trying to uh, make happen. But also we need that quiet, focused workspace. And what a lot of the Leesman research showed was that actually people generally feel quite uncomfortable, you know, taking personal calls in an open plan office. They don't like discussing confidential matters. Like um, they find it very difficult if there isn't noise suppression or other sources of background noise. So, so it's that competition, I suppose, between bringing people back into an office as an employer when the home actually has functioned so much better than perhaps anybody anticipated. Yeah, absolutely. And a huge trend at the moment is um, towards much smaller, um, higher quality space. Because if you can't give people a good experience, then well, what's the point? And that's the question we get internally. Like, you know, if I'm a if I'm a software developer and I'm sat with my you know, 20 screens at home that I can look at and work in exactly the way I like, why would I come into an office where I don't have that set up and do the same tasks? And I think we've been very mindful in our kind of governance team around not pushing people to, you must be in two or three days a week. We think it's a lot more nuanced than that, that really it's around what activities are you going to perform. That's the reason to to be together. And just avoiding that, you know, awkwardness of, of teams. Collaborating on teams is a terrible people yes. experience. <laughs> it really terrible. Is, isn't it? And you took an interesting route with the company in terms of going down a B Corp route and that with your staff and clients, et cetera. Just explain your motivation and and how that's panned out. Yeah, so the reason we um, we looked at B Corp originally was uh, we wanted to make sure that we were standing out as an, a, an employer of choice, um, particularly in, in the region. And I think one of the things, and it was interesting, actually, we had a exit interview of an employee about a year ago who uh, sat down and, and basically said, you know, your benefits package was amazing before the pandemic because of the flexibility that we offered. Uh, and now everyone has broadly moved to doing exactly the same thing. So you've almost kind of lost, lost an edge your, and, lost and a differentiation. Yeah. But I think the other thing that we found when we started to look at raising investment was uh, some of the external people we had in to help us with that process when they sat with members of the team, what they uh, were coming back with was how astounded they were about the um, level of impact that everyone wanted to drive. And as we started looking at the kind of planning around, you know, well, how many buildings do we need to be in a year to, you know, affect the changes and get the results that we wanted in, in terms of the investment round, we realised it was very few. Like, you know, even if we grew the team substantially, we were still only going to be touching maybe a few hundred buildings in in all of our lifetimes. So really the motivation around um, B Corp was around attracting people in, but also demonstrating externally that we had the credentials that we were looking to embed within those buildings. So walk in the walk. Well, yeah, now we're in, you know, ESG is front and centre, both with, you know, investors and also um, people that we work with. And so having something that says, you know, we've been through a process and as you say, we are walking the walk. We're not just kind of saying, you know, and greenwashing and putting a bunch of uh, lipsticks on pigs or whatever other analogy you'd like to use. Yeah, it was just really important to the team that we yeah, were able to kind of demonstrate our credentials. You talked about the importance of employee culture, having that really attractive differentiating benefits package is it hard then to get the skills that you need uh right now yeah never been in a position like it from a skills point of view really hard to recruit people uh, i think people are getting just 
really incredible offers at the moment. And so where we're in competition with other people, it can be very difficult, particularly where we're, you know, kind of David to Goliath. Uh, we don't have the bottomless pit of funds that you know, lots of corporates do uh, as a smaller business. But generally, I think culture-wise, we've always enjoyed real kind of camaraderie and any visitors to our office would always kind of talk about the energy, the buzz, all that kind of stuff, which is great. Trying to reconstruct that post-pandemic um, when everyone has got very used to being a lot more... Uh, insular is probably a bit strong, but certainly, you know, prioritising the individual over... A bit more autonomous and independent. Over the community, yeah. And so um, we're really trying to reinstill uh, our kind of community ethos again albeit in a slightly different way with the added complexity that we don't just have home and office because we have the third space, which is our client sites where we spend huge amounts of our time. Sure. So yeah, trying to kind of rebuild that also with uh, a shortage of skills is very difficult. And I think I'm just fast moving to the conclusion that uh, our education system is not fit for purpose because uh, I started out uh, in the IT industry and uh, when I joined Raj in 2008, uh, found a great organisation called CompTIA, uh, Global IT Industry Association, ended up sitting on their exec council for three years. And all we would talk about is the skills gap in IT, that more people needed to be skilled up in it, huge shortage of people to come into the workforce, uh, really, really difficult. And then we also worked in the AV sector, who also has an industry association called Avixa, previously Infocom, uh, and they were saying the same things. And I was like, okay, well, this this must be like a technology problem. But then we did, uh, I think it was a UK Construction Week roundtable, and I ended up uh, sat alongside plasterers and electricians and other people in construction trades. And all of them were saying that there's a skills there's gap. There's a skills gap. And we can't all have a skills gap. <laughs> people must be doing some job somewhere. <laughs> yeah. So I just think... Um, we really need to get away from this kind of rote learning idea. And I think the the really sad thing for me, I've always been someone who's been um, very strongly motivated by learning. And we're really fortunate that we have a very, uh, you know, real broad, diverse mix of people within the business from lots of different backgrounds, real kind of multidisciplinary team. But the people who are now starting to come out uh, into the workplace are so focused on right and wrong. And you can't work in an industry like ours if you're always in the pursuit of the right answer because often there's three or four or five right answers. Yep. And actually what it's about is weighing up and assessing the options and applying critical thinking, like making sure that you're backing your decisions with evidence, that they're well thought through and researched. There isn't a textbook. There's no answer sheet. And it's, it's sad to see. And I talk to people in other industries a lot and it seems to be quite a common thing. It's even harder, isn't it? Looking ahead, what next? What's on the horizon for Vanti? So it's exciting times. Um, despite everything. Despite, <laughs> despite everything. I feel like uh, we're, we're digging very deep on the, uh, the resilience side of things at the moment. But um, we've just had uh, one and a half million funding approved from oh, FSC. Congratulations. Thank you. So we've had the first tranche of that through recently. Uh, and then we're out to raise the rest of this three million pound round, uh, which will see us. Um, we've got 23 jobs to create this year. Uh, another 70 over the next three years. So 
got some quite big expansion plans. Uh, we're into some super exciting projects now and working with some pretty serious portfolio owners. So people like Crown Estate, MNG, Naveen, uh, MEPC locally in Birmingham. So we've just been employed to do the whole of Paradise and uh, awaiting, fingers crossed, uh, our appointment to Three Chamberlain Square, which will be our second smart building on that. Fabulous. Congratulations. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Thank you for joining me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. That was Mike Bruman of Vanti. Thanks for listening. This has been Beyond the Capital from Supertech. I'm Hilary Smith-Allen. Please follow us on Apple, Spotify, whichever is your favourite podcast app. And if you've enjoyed listening, tell your friends and family and give us a rating to help others find the podcast. <laughs>